Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with host Gord Riddell. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, and welcome to Things Worth Considering. I am Gord Riddell, and I am here with my co-host, Alexia Georgiousis. Hello and, there. Uh, how are you? I'm good, Gord. How are you? Good. How's your week going? Not too bad. I mean, you know, I keep finding that it's, uh, it's, it's as I said earlier on a previous episode, it seems like moment to moment, up and down, <laughs> sideways, backwards. Waiting to see what, what the government will say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's waiting to see what the government's going to say next yeah. Uh, yeah. in terms of the unfolding pandemic. Of our, our, our lifetime. Hopefully it's our lifetime. <laughs> Hopefully. So far we've only had one in mind. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, um, uh, certainly this brings all the medical stuff up. Um, and uh, we're a few days late, but it was the international women's uh, or nursing. I mean, uh, international uh, nursing uh, acknowledgement. And uh, it was also the 200th anniversary of the birth of Florence Nightingale. Wow, it's that's amazing. First of all, yeah. nurses, amazing, I, amazing nurses, profession absolutely. that is so undervalued. Yeah, totally, totally, Com- which is why know, we're going to talk about them. Good, good. <laughs> because they are truly, I think, you know, the front line of our of our yeah, uh, entire medical. Definitely, definitely. Know? And and there, it's a really fascinating, um, you know, because I had to do had to do some reading and stuff on it. Uh, it was also just really fascinating to read about. Uh, sort of the history of it, you know. Um, so Florence Langdale, she was born in May of um, uh, 1820. Wow. Um, so now it's 2020, so 200 years. And she lived to be a ripe old age of 90. And to throw in what we keep hearing over and over again, she washed her hands a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so what what makes her significant? Well, first of all, I mean, her significance is she's deemed to be the founder of modern medicine. Um, hmm. Interesting. You know, Very interesting. You know, they really didn't have medical uh, training schools. Well, certainly not for women. Um, right. Even for nursing um, back then, there were sort of on-the-job apprenticeships kind of thing. So she she did some training in Germany and some training down in Egypt. So she was, um, you know, sort of exposed to the Catholic, uh, which was a big player in this. And then, of course, the the Muslim, the Byzantine. Uh, approach as well. So, you know, she she then um, uh, you know moved back into into Europe, and you know she began to observe that uh, if she you know, one the the conditions of what a hospital that we would call a hospital today was appalling in terms of hygiene and all that. You know, it just didn't exist. So she began to notice that in in cleaning up not only the environment but cleaning up the patient. And washing them and so on, that they they started to get better. They started to actually live and leave the hospital. Hospitals back then were really more what we would call a hospice today. People went there to die. Um, um, you know, their families took care of them basically. Um, right, right. And uh, you know, the the, the Catholics, um, you know, it was it was a um, nursing was a religious job, and it was mm. by the nuns. Um, and, and to this day, I mean, there are still nursing orders uh, out there, but uh, they were they were instrumental. One because they were unpaid. 
Right. They didn't have right. to, the hospitals didn't have to pay them. Right. You know? Right. Sadly. Uh, which is yeah, which is really interesting. Well, and also, also, I mean, first of all, imagine the experience that she had and what she witnessed, and being able to see ailing patients or people, and then looking at the conditions, and also seeing, I'm sure, as a woman back then, um, you know, who knows what she was experiencing in terms of her you know, her acceptance or being able to be accepted as being someone who was intelligent and someone who had wisdom and also and she was noticing, yeah, noticing as well that, that this is a, a very um, selfless position. I mean, that's the thing about nursing is that it is the most, I think, I know people who are nurses and I think it's probably the most incredibly um um, powerful position in a way to be in and very intimate with the client, with the patient, because oh, you're absolutely. seeing someone at their worst in every capacity. Yep. But, you know, seeing that there, this was the sanitation, that sanitation was part of it. And, and I, you know, I think that it, it's great that if there's more attention to, hey, this, this woman made a massive difference in terms of the advent of nursing and the modern medicine. I had no idea. I had no idea that that was true for her. Yeah, it totally changed the attitude of, of medicine completely, and, and especially in terms of uh, patient care, as opposed to kind of waiting for them to die kind of an attitude. You know, I mean, they certainly didn't have things like we call palliative care today, you know, or, or, or hospice. That's what was called a hospital, you know. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think that um, just changing that attitude alone, that these, the, there was ways that people would actually survive and it was as simple as hygiene and sanitation in the area. You know, the environment itself had to be clean uh, as well. And we certainly know that today. We know that, you know, if a hospital doesn't stay on top of diligently, you know, that we were starting to get multi-resistant, you know, uh, infections happening, uh, which are horrific. Horrific. And, and you know, there's something very interesting that um, – also is is what I did read a little bit about her was around this idea of, of having fresh air, you know, clean water, you know, very basic, uh, you know, amenities, but things that were often overlooked. But That's right. it, it also goes back to the fact that our air, you know, in terms of, oh, is it dangerous? And what can we do to clean the air? And and I was listening to a program just before we got on. I was joining joined this live Zoom call that was with um, some a group called Red Talks, and uh, they had a couple of um, well, it's it's through First Nations here in Toronto. But basically, um, the the participants on the call uh, was Lee Morale, who is a poet, and I'm, I don't think I'm pronouncing her name correctly, Indigenous poet and also a writer, and she teaches at U of T. And this. This Senator Murray Sinclair, who's lawyer and, and uh, um, also judge in, in, in Canada, and they were talking about this idea of how the Indigenous peoples also very much believed that not only whenever the earth was disrupted, that there would be a, a, a release of some virus or some kind of element or, or, or bacteria, whatever it is, that would end up impacting people the other part is around the, their use of smudge and right. using this is not just because it was in the catholic religion and greek, or, greek orthodox the incense that's used in so many different spiritual traditions right meditation yes. and it's it made me think about this interesting aspect around cleansing air because we've forgotten so many ways to actually work with 
what does it mean with intention to clean air, not just necessarily filtering it, but also using the smoke of a plant or using the, the, this, this uh, scent. And I think it has a lot of power, but with Florence Nightingale, I think that because- no, that doesn't work when I'm cooking. <laughs> no, no. The plants don't smell so good at that point. <laughs> right. Oh, you have to watch yeah. it, right. <laughs> right. But I think that, you know, this idea of opening windows, you know, keeping fresh air going. And then what's happened is, look, a lot of us became very fearful of the air in, in terms of exchanging air. Well, let's say if somebody's jogging by you, right? It's like how many distance the feet. Absolutely. You know, but with Florence Nightingale, I think that this idea of being able to see that you know, opening windows and letting patients have fresh air. And and these were, back in the day, these were often what were called nature-cured sanitariums where people would go and have, you know, be, in, be connecting with nature again. And That's right. Be able that to- was a classic cure for tuberculosis. Yes, yes. In the sanatoriums. Yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, I wonder how much, did you happen to read if she was involved in any sanatoriums at all? I, I don't know often. No, she wasn't. Okay. She wasn't. That was sort of another side piece that was coming up out of uh, another area. Uh, she was. She was particularly, you know, working within what was called hospitals uh, idea. You know, um, uh, and not necessarily, you know, moving towards creating something. She really didn't know that she was out to create anything. You know, I mean, that's what that's what's so cool about it is, just through observation, she began to notice that if you watched somebody, you know, they were get, they were getting clean. Or they were getting healthier, you know. Right. Uh, so I mean, just the whole thing. I mean, we. I make jokes about it. Usually at the end of every every broadcast I do or anything, I'm like, "Wash your hands," um, <laughs> is because you know, as much as we're shaking our heads, here's the person who just saw the difference in washing your hands. You know, and so if you consider like being on public transit or places where there's a lot of people, forget the air, but all the things that we touch and the average person touches their face something like you know 90 times in an hour really yes yeah they're like wow we're always like you know we're doing something something. yeah yeah yeah. your eye your nose or your mouth and those are of course of course points of entry uh you know when dealing with this pandemic uh so this washing your hands was was uh it was a huge breakthrough we're making fun of it now, but it's actually going to be the breakthrough that allows the pandemic, you know, that in, in of course, uh, you know, physical distancing uh, will allow us to finally break through this. Yeah, it's incredible that something that was, you know, relatively old per se, I mean, it's not that old, but it's in terms of, and the fact that many people forgot the value of washing hands with soap because the thing about the sanitizer, remember when that hit the hit everywhere, it was like yeah, the yeah. sanitizer all over the place. And typically it wasn't a 70% concentrate. And the thing about vi- that, those sanitized. Uh, it was 120 proof. Stuff. I had a bottle in every room. We're <laughs> <laughs> not. <laughs> Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But but I remember this th- those sanitizers, they dry the hands out. They also yes. typically are more for bacteria, not viruses. Right. And I, I do think that again, there there's this lack of thought around what do we need to bring into 
people's areas, especially public areas where there are lots of people touching things. There are right. lots of contaminants that are there, fomites, where viruses can live. If I mean, God forbid that people could see, you know, what was around us. I think that people would either freak out and be overwhelmed or they would embrace it and say, wow, we are part of this incredible ecosystem, right? We talked about that last, last yeah. episode. But I mean, there's certainly room here to understand why germaphobes who have seen this stuff become germaphobes. You know, well, it's, and it's yes, and and the germaphobes. The danger is, is that that's when you that's when the the fear takes hold, yes. and it's not trusting that our body is covered with organisms. You know, yep. the skin is constantly sloughing off, and it also we need the bacteria. It's like saying, you know, it's like someone taking their their dog and and shampooing them every single day. Yes. It disrupts the flora. It disrupts the oils. And that's a protective barrier. So right. soap, you know, soap on our hands, because our hands are touching things all the time. And then, as you said, around our faces, it's a, a very simple way to have a level of protection. Yeah, yeah. It's bringing that habit of touching your face. You know, it, 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 hands, hands to face tell us a lot about, you know, people being nervous, people thinking, or they shower too much and they're now they're itchy, you know, or, or whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, if we put this also into an historic perspective, the average home, in fact, the average building period didn't have running water. Yeah. It, you know, someone had to go and slough it out of the stream and bring it into the house. Um, and, and that was your cold water. Even when they, once they invented cold water that they could, you know, use gravity to make it run into your home. And that was the aristocracy. Uh, there was still no hot water. The idea of a hot water heater hadn't even been invented yet, let alone right. thought up, you know. Right, right. So it was an ordeal to take water and then put it on the fire and have to heat it up. You know, and and then be able to use it in in order to bathe. You know, it yes, really yes, was. Yes. It was a big thing. Well, you know, part, we don't know how part, lucky we it are. It is a big thing, and part of this COVID experience, COVID nineteen, I should say, is that it is really important. I think to reflect on how comfortable we've we've gotten. Where before, back in the day, you know, the, the and I, I remember um, my uh, relatives in in Greece in a village that the the way the house was designed was that the rooms basically bedrooms were were there. When you came into the hallway, you were kind of outside. You were covered, but you oh, were yeah, outside. Yes. And then to get to the bathroom, you had to go outside and then down the stairs outside. And then it was basically a room that was completely separate it wasn't enclosed within the house the way that we have it now we called it an outhouse yeah well this wasn't a true outhouse it was sort of like it was out but it wasn't so we've i think that you know we the idea that we're we want these comforts we don't we don't want to have to work we we've taken advantage of the fact that we can open up our taps and have water and hot water absolutely absolutely and and uh, and right off of our our bedroom Yes. You must right? have an ensuite. Yeah, you just roll out, roll out, right? Roll out and roll in, you know, into yep. the into the bathroom and everything is there. It's not kept separate. Yeah. There was an understanding of why that was separate, you know. And let's face it, I mean, you know, to be, to be real, um, people are inherently lazy. See, Gordon, I... If we can turn you, something on... You really believe that, don't you? I really do. I really do. That if we can get someone else to do it, or we can get a mechanism to do it, or design it that I don't have to do anything more than press a button, then we're, I might bypass doing it. 
I don't want to. I probably would never obey. It. You don't want to agree with me. <laughs> Go on, press the button. Press the button, and I fall through the floor. <laughs> okay, I'll try to do that. Wrong like the James Bond movie, whichever one that was. Where <laughs> that was a wrong answer. Whoa. <laughs> um, you know, they did a study, uh, uh, University of Michigan, 2013, all right? And what they did was to survey, and this was, this was dovetailing, by the way, on a similar study in Europe of 100,000 people. And they found that 61% of women washed their hands after using a washroom, public washroom, and only 40% of men did. Now, we knew that men were real yeah. good at this. Okay? Yeah, sadly, I'd have to. Now, here's what's interesting. If there was another person present... That number for women went from 61%, it jumped up to 90%. And men went from 40 to 75%. Wow, that's a big jump. So maybe that, is that the reason why women go to the bathroom together? So they make sure they wash their hands? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but it's, I'm a bit shocked. But it, I get, you know, I can see, I can see how that happens. And I think that, is it laziness or is it a sense of we're too, um, you know, caught up and distracted that we just don't slow down enough to think about it. Well, we're also, I think, too comfortable in believing that we're, we're uh, you know, organism-free. Like, the, the, we don't have a contagion or anything like that. And you go to the bathroom, it's part of your body. You, you're comfortable with your body. Therefore, why would you wash your hands, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. on that, I'm going to go wash my hands because uh, I see that uh, it's time to take a break. <laughs> so you go wash your hands. I'm going to go wash my hands. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll see you back here in two minutes. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Things Worth Considering. 
Uh, and we're talking today not just about Florence Nightingale, but we're talking about nursing and a fascinating profession and a very important profession, if I do say so. You know, I was in a hospital when I was a kid for almost five months. Wow. And in Sick Children's Hospital. And the nurses to this day, I can see their faces. I had an evening nurse. She came on. She was from Jamaica. She was the coolest woman I'd ever met. And she would like yell at me and, and so on. I was like one of her kids, you know, after all those, after those months in the hospital. And uh, I'm sure you as a little kid, Gord, I, we can just, I can just imagine. I couldn't walk. That was the worst part. Yeah, I was going to say, what had happened to you? Well, I, I froze my feet. I was in a, I was in like a camping accident. You know, and and got separated from a group that up in northern Ontario, and it was March, but I kind of had like April, May clothing, uh, or especially footwear, and so on. And so my feet froze. Uh, Oh no! When they finally brought me down to sick kids from uh, up near Huntsville because it was in Algonquin, um, you know, they were like they wanted to amputate my legs, and my my mom and and my grandmother, who thank God were there, said no way. Um, And anyway, fortunately, that did not happen couple of toes <laughs> I had to give up but otherwise uh, you know it, that was uh, that was it but you know I went to school there every day uh, my school teacher came and, and you know continued to to uh, uh, educate me so that I would pass you know and move on because it was what I was going to high school next year oh geez what an experience and the fact yeah. that you didn't lose your feet incredible yeah well I didn't know that until years later you know when uh, my my parents and my grandparents you know were were talking to me you know and, and said well this is what was happening they kept that from me you know all I know is, is that I had to be on this bed with my feet elevated and you know it was it was anyways but the nurses I, I mean I just have so so much respect for them yeah. you know I do too uh, they run the whole thing they well and also the- I, f- I find with nurses that they run the whole thing they see they see so much and they also uh, you know, in terms of witnessing people's pain, people's suffering, people's joy, all of it. And they have to be the epitome of this sort of position of being able to hold it all on some level and then also step in. The other part yes. with nursing is that, yes, it's an incredible, uh, um, you know, call to service. And I think that that's why, you know, nurses deserve so much praise and also value in terms of monetary value being really paid very well. Um, The other part is I find my experience with nurses is that incredibly intelligent, incredibly open to alternative or uh, complementary medicine. Yes. Very, very interested because I think, again, they have seen, you know what, sometimes conventional medicine doesn't work. Nope. And and what else? Some of the old folk tales do. Yes. And and it's real medicine. I mean, when we look back at all the indigenous medicines, that's where a lot of pharmaceuticals came from, right? Yep, you know, yep. that's that's basically there. So it's it means that again, having that balance. But I do find with nurses overall that they're ha- they have this openness and a willingness to just be curious, which I think is a wonderful thing to have when someone is in the healthcare profession. That's a huge huge quality. They also keep the MDs in line. <laughs> they need to sometimes I've seen it I have seen it yeah. and it's, it's just like you go <laughs> you know now you, you know when looking at nursing I mean nursing is really you know such um, an example of the misogyny that has existed you know we had first of all the nuns okay um, that were unpaid so right. the, the next thing then that they, they did was hospitals began to open up their own nursing schools now, they were modeled on Nightingale, 
All right. Because she wrote a, uh, she wrote a book uh, on, uh, you know, tips for nursing. Uh, and uh, that became sort of a, a standard in the industry. Um, but then what they did was they used their students and said, well, you know, uh, you know, ac- academic learning is eh, it's not nearly as important as, as hands-on. Of course, we recognize both are important. Uh, so they would take these young girls and they would put them on the wards and they would work 12 to 18-hour days um, unpaid. So there's this whole, you know, there's this whole attitude that today we still hear about, you know, women are the primary caregivers in their families and that it's an unpaid for profession. Right. Oh, yes, absolutely. So this whole unpaid thing in terms of taking care of other people just runs all the way through from it being a religiously controlled, you know, group to a non-religious but supposedly academic training through to you know, women in their families to this day. If you're, you know, if there's a, a, a traditional, you know, male-female, uh, um, you know, heteronormative relationship, the woman's going to have to take care of the parents when they get really old and sick. The yeah. guy's not going to do it. Yeah, what, yeah. What, what does exactly. he know about anything? Eh? You know, so well, and I think, I think you're right women. around where did that, how did that start to develop in terms of our society. It's like the last episode when we talked about home economics and how that was mm. you know, taken out and girls were supposed to learn how to sew and cook. And it's sort of the same thing. It's like that, that patriarchy that basically has that male energy of saying, you know, this is what women can do and this is what they should do, but we're not going to pay them or value them. And they'll just, the other part is I've never understood why, in the healthcare and terms of training with conventional doctors and nurses that they have to burn the candle at both ends and basically do these 12, 16 hour shifts. Why? I don't, I don't understand who that serves. You mean like me? <laughs> yeah. Like you, exactly. But I don't understand why, why may, and is it, is it meant to sort of make someone feel so exhausted and so depleted that they have to keep pushing and keep enduring. And I think that, that, uh, belief system around I have to keep enduring is a problem when people are working in a service uh, profession. Mm. It kind of goes back to what you had said uh, a few episodes ago about caretaking and caregiving. Right, right. You know, I think I think though that that you know you know incredibly lengthy days and so on is simply because if you were to break it up into eight hours, like only forty hours a week or something like you know a corporate job. Um, these people would never get trained. See, you know? I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that... Well, it would just take, let's put it this way. It would take for a long, long time for them to get the same level of training. Yes, but once they're trained, let's say once they're even trained, then then you go into and you're working. It's like, okay, you know what? If you don't, if you're there and you have to do a, a 12, 16-hour shift again, I just do not see why that is a smart thing to do for people because human beings make mistakes. Oh, and yeah. especially when people are tired and fatigued and stressed and just their immune system becomes compromised everything so yeah. I, again it's the value around you know why is that decision being make, made and how is that a smart decision how is it for the well-being of everyone involved you know when, right right that's that's right. the part where I, I guess I, I guess I saw it in terms of you know um, all of these professions have an entry to practice requirement you know, and, and it's a lot of it's hours. So um, it would just be like by getting these hours in more, you know, uh, otherwise instead of being 30, they're like 37 and a half, you know, yeah. uh, just trying to yeah. do those hours. 
Right, you know, right, right. That's that's just my conjecture around it, knowing from the you know psychotherapy end of having to have right. you know a thousand hours. That's, that's yeah. In any in any program, same with naturopathic medicine. That, you know, there's particular hours that, in terms of meeting the requirements, and and the thing is, is that you know time and experience, as we know, as you keep practicing, that's how you keep learning because it is hands on. And, you know, you may not see every condition or every person with every single condition that's out there. But over time, it develops experience. It doesn't mean that you know everything, as we know. I (laughs) I find I'm always like, okay, I I know nothing. Now, I'm knowing no less now than I did first of all. But going back to the nurses, I think that this is very interesting to look at how these uh, mostly women were they were only women. Hospitals. They were only women. They were only women, hey? Yes, up well, until 1959 in Canada. 19, oh, is that right? And that's, that's when the men first were male. The first male was admitted into a nursing school. Oh, very interesting. That's not that long ago. It's not. You know, it's not. It's, in, it's within our life scope, yeah. more or less. Not really. <laughs> not mine yet. <laughs> yeah. <You> be quiet. <laughs> I'll put you into woman's work. Right. right. Oh, <laughs> no. No, no. Exactly. So, um, so this this idea of the, the the church wasn't supplying as many women to work in hospitals, and you know that's where I'm curious about why was it that the church was having to supply this? Well, often often the churches owned them. They were um, in many of the big cities in Europe. The uh, the hospitals were associated to a cathedral or a basilica, you know, and there and because there would be the you know there'd also there'd be an order of any of the the uh, sisters or any of the the monks, the brothers. Uh, they would also have, so you'd have a seminary and a convent and a monastery sort of, and then the hospital that they would, they would work at. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting that this whole sort of institutional system, because I feel like what also, you know, this whole experience of COVID-19 is doing is that it is hopefully helping us to look at what was done before all these institutions when, for example, indigenous people lived, of course, they had structure and medicine people all over the world, right? They used the medicine. And, and as the crowds started coming, you know, this sort of awareness of, oh, you know, white people can do it better, which is not true at all. And and taking over these, these you know, basically bulldozing and, and the whole idea of suffocating and, and dismissing this very valuable history of medicine and system that is now I think more people are wanting to turn into turn back towards rather a sense of connecting with nature because we know that we have completely disrespected the resources of the earth so absolutely we have to continue re-relating ourselves to what's here and 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 you know understand what health is about take the value from Florence Nightingale and hand washing and again merge it or marry it with also these old wisdom teachings. Right. Well, let me just, let me tell you something I wrote down here. Oh, let's This see. is from Benoit and Carol in 2005, wrote, long before European settlement in Canada, indigenous healers and midwives occupied important caregiving roles in their communities. These healers had extensive knowledge of medicinal plants and knew how to harvest, prepare, and administer them to treat ailments. The story of Kirsten Burnett found that indigenous women healers in Western Canada prior to the turn of the 20th century, also played a vital role as nurses and midwives in settler uh, societies. For example, Saskatchewan settler wrote in 1833 that a Blackfoot woman had cured his sister-in-law of dysentery by giving her a tea made from white prairie flowers after a local doctor had been totally unable to heal her. Yeah, beautiful. And this is 
It's perfect because that's exactly, we've forgotten how to relate to the earth. I mean, for example, if you say to somebody who's in the conventional world, okay, go on, go into the earth and find the medicine. Yes. They're not going to find it. No. Right. We need to bring this, this, you know, this sense of these teachings and these people that have so much knowledge and wisdom to, to balance, you know, balance what's right. happening in the world. Well, you know, in, in the holistic group that you, you, you teach in, uh, that division at the school, um, you know, uh, uh, Crystal Munt teaches herbal, uh, herbal medicine, and he takes them out on uh, herbal walks in, uh, in June as, as they're all becoming, you know, I guess, uh, uh, up and ready to, to look at, uh, you know, doing it. Now, unfortunately, we were having to suspend it because we can't have more than five people in the same place, which would mean four students and him spread out, you know, it would be like, you know, looking for bodies in a, in a field uh, as it goes oh, down through oh, it in a row, you know. Orbit there. <laughs> well, it's like, that's what it reminds me of is, you know, everybody's spread out, right. and, you know, searching the field right. for, for herbals. But um, I think that's the coolest thing is to, you know, people to be able to learn to go out there and actually see them growing and then how to prepare them. Well, and, and that's just it is that, it, you know, in naturopathic uh, college, we also had the same thing where we do herbal walks and learning how to relate to the plant. And also, this is very important. It's a sense of everything that's alive. We have an opportunity to be, to be relational and to really respect and use intention instead of just manufacturing for profit right? Let's try to replicate this, make it synthetic, and then patent it so that it can make trillions of dollars for pharma. Exactly. Because that to me is, it's no longer acceptable. It's, it's like, yes, we, of course we need conventional drugs, but the way that we're just taking this as something where only a certain percentage of people can benefit or even access is not okay. So again, what's the balance? Because we need both. But imagine people learning how to grow their medicinal herbs or yes. knowing to recognize, oh, I better not do the clear cutting over here because we're tearing out whatever it is in the forest. You know, we, that's you a whole other topic. Our society? <laughs> whole other topic, right? That's another whole one. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I can remember uh, needing to take aspirin for a while and uh, I switched over and did willow bark. Beautiful. Which is aspirin. Which is aspirin. Yes. Before it's yes, been synthesized it by Bayer uh, in Germany back in 1800s or something, you know. Uh, and you know what? It, was, it, it didn't taste. It had a taste for sure. But you know what? You learned it. You got used to it. And uh, it, it did just as well as anything synthetic. You know? Yeah, exactly. So it's, and it's very empowering when, when we give that sense of, oh, we forget again what we've talked about previously is around we are part of nature. We can relate. The medicine is, is here for us in so many ways, so many yes. ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and we do. We forget it. Again, see, that, that's, that's my, my laziness thing. You know, give me a pill. Don't tell me I've got to go and take a, find a willow tree, get the bark. I, I grow a willow tree in my living room if I needed it, um, you know, to do it and then do all that work and make the tea and, you know, or chew on, chew on the bark if you want. Well, and it's a really good point you bring up because it's the perception of work. Right? Yes, always. And it's, always. It's, it's, again, that dulling down when we get zoned out into the buzz of, you know, social media, scrolling on our phones, whatever it is, and the busyness. And, you know, I'm guilty of this too, absolutely. But it's really making me recognize, okay, how do I still, even though I live in Toronto, how do I show up in a way that's much more in alignment 
with being able to pause and pay attention to, you know, oh, wow, there's water coming out of my taps or the food that I'm cooking and just slowing down. But when we think of it as work, that's the irony. I'm like, that is just, this is self-care. Yep. This is this is life, right? As soon as you use the word work, we're out of here. And we're out of here right now on this commercial break. Uh, we'll be right back in two minutes. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back to Things Worth Considering. This is Gord Riddell, and I'm here with Alexia Georgiousis, and we are talking about nursing. Um, it's our uh, tribute to... Uh, just a little bit about the background of nursing and, and uh, such amazing uh, people that they are and the work that they do. So we, we were just talking about indigenous uh, nurses um, and, and, and some of the stuff that's been written about them. You know, after, after Confederation, which is uh, 1867, uh, I was such a good history student. Um, wow. The federal government aggressively pursued policies of assimilating indigenous peoples, as we all know, and eradicating their culture, um, well, forcing them to speak English and the horrible, horrible genocide, a complete genocide. Yep, with the residential schools, you know, uh, and and you know there was a, a lot of effort to suppress their healing uh, knowledge and, and practices. Um, and that comes from Lux in 2016. He writes about that. But as well, Indigenous women were largely barred from entering nurse training schools until the 1930s. That's you know. so shocking. And yet I'm not surprised because we know that that suppression and, again, the genocide of the Indigenous peoples was prominent everywhere, wherever there was colonization. And yep. again, I think the part of it is control and fear and to dominate. And then also sort of steal whatever's there without a sense of reciprocity. And this is there's a resurgence now of 
the way that people want to uh, live in the world and relate to the earth and each other that I think is more rooted in indigenous cultures that that there a lot of their teachings and the philosophy I think has been percolating for some time which is why all the shamanic teachings and cultures are that's that's sort of taking hold of a lot of younger people Absolutely. and older but but it's it really is an interesting wave to watch how people that are in their 20s and 30s are very attracted to earth medicine and you know, going back to the history. And so I'm hopeful that this will actually bring the Indigenous teachings and the medicines to a place where they should be, where they should be valued, and they should be considered something that we need to absolutely honor and work with in a way that is very collaborative. And knowing that they have an expertise that the Europeans who colonized North America don't have. Absolutely. They are people of the land, that (laughs) they have an experience that we well, we don't have. So yeah. so that in terms of, you know, seeing that these uh, women were barred from training is not really that surprising given what we did, you know. Given what as, we as, did, exactly. Exactly. You know, um, the the um, fact that, you know, I think when I read that they were barred until like 1930 was just uh, horrific, you know. Um, but our judicial, just as a follow-up on that, our judicial system, though, greatly recognizes uh, um, indigenous healing. Um, and so somebody who's having problems, you know, who's, who's now in the criminal court system uh, with addictions or, uh, you know, other, other forms of problems that could go into a, a, a more Western approach uh, are given the choice of returning to their own. They have to be obviously a status uh, Indian and they will go back to one of their own tribes. Right, um, right. And work with work with the healing, you know, the shamanic uh, healers that are there, uh, and go through tradi- you know sort of traditional, you know, native healing. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's that's fantastic because better than throwing them in jail. Well, and not just that, that you know, they're they're they have they were culture with ha- they had their own laws, their own order, and yes. and something that is written out of history books. You know, there's never any real. I don't know what is truth in there, but I think the other part is that when the Europeans came over, even with the history of naturopathic medicine in North America, is that there was a complete suppression of using natural medicines. And a lot of the natural practitioners were women who also worked closely, I believe, with indigenous peoples to learn how to midwife, learn about plant medicine. But with the whole advent of, um, I believe it was um, the Flexner report that went in from the Carnegie Foundation and started to basically say, no, these schools are not medical schools. They don't, they're not, they, they don't have the standards. They need to be shut down. They're not clean. All of these things that you know, basically the naturopathic colleges that did exist were essentially um, shut down almost to the point where there were there was no naturopathic medicine being taught. But I believe there were two, I, my history is not quite clear in my mind, but I believe there were two colleges that survived. That was in the 1800s, you know, somewhere right. in that period of time. Um, you know, and, and now we're seeing this rebalancing that is happening. And again, the idea of nursing, what does that mean? It, nursing is such a beautiful quality. It is a very feminine quality, generally speaking, because, you know, I grew up with a father who was incredibly nurturing, a very nurturing man, you know, which again, it's that idea of how do I care for this ailing person or this ailing creature, whether it's a plant or an animal, and, and nurse them back into being able to thrive. Right, right, exactly, 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, nurses nurses are also one of the most injured uh, groups uh, professionally on on the planet. You know, uh, they just finally passed a law in twenty. Most of it's from lifting, and they finally just passed a law in twenty fifteen that where absolutely possible, it has to be done mechanically and not being done by women anymore, or being done by nurses, which is including men. You know, uh, but the nurses should not have to do physical labor, you know, which a lot of what they did was physical labor. It was moving and shifting. And it just even to get someone to sit up and watch their back, you know, is is not an easy thing to do when they're the person wanting to flop backwards, you know. Definitely not. That's a lot of it's like moving a dead weight, right? It's very difficult to do. And if you have someone who's, you know, for example, stroke patients typically will have that seizing that happens on the paralyzed side. It's very difficult because the limb isn't moving with ease. It's it's rigid. So, you know, it's not something that the person themselves can control. But then when you have nurses trying to help that person, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, and they're going to counter the weight, and they're not necessarily going to work with each other, and they're going to counter from there, and it just yeah, becomes like a huge mess. There are mechanics that, that does it. So, you know, as, as, as much as, you know, nurses are, are sort of said to have very little autonomy, you know, in, uh, uh, in their profession and so on, um, one, you know, one of the things that uh, is interesting is, is that they actually, the Catholic uh, nursing sisters – built a massive network of nurse-run hospitals uh, beginning in 1637. That's 500 years ago. These nuns, you know, and I mean, nuns have been, I've had some associations professionally with with, uh, some nuns, and they're brilliant. They, They are the backbone, like nurses, they are the backbone of the Catholic Church. <laughs> they're they're out there doing the nursing, the teaching, the working with people. The priest shows up, does his does his ceremony. Sorry, I don't need to put people down, but the women really are the backbone of that church, and so they of course had their own little organization going. I know you recall, but just as an aside, Benedict, when he was still still uh, the Pope, uh, as opposed to whatever he is today, uh, was called you know was was calling for a an inquiry into North American nuns that. He appointed three men to come over and investigate these women because they weren't staying in line with the Catholic Church. And I'm like, of course they weren't. Who is, you know? Um, And they were outraged. They were just, they were so outraged. Uh, We had some some working at the school and they were just outraged that they were sending men over to investigate them. Oh, how interesting. And and it's... Francis, he called the whole thing off. (sighs) Yes. Francis said, this is not happening. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about the Catholic Church, but that whole idea of the concept of control and very patriarchal, as we know, um, writ, 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 wrote so many women out of everything. And again, the, the, the systemic devaluation of women, indigenous cultures, because women are very connected to the earth. You know, yeah. the idea of the creation and yeah, you know, the whole idea of... Yeah, uterus being able yeah. to birth and and having this because also I wanted to say that I've I've also heard I I don't don't know any but I've also heard of some nuns who weren't so kind and weren't so great. Oh no, absolutely. We're, we're very and same with nurses that a lot of bullying, a lot of toxicity, a lot of you know if we bring in the indigenous cultures, we know what the Catholic and the Protestants and in terms of the religious what that did to uh, these indigenous peoples. Right? Very, the yeah, they were very angry. Terrible. Terrible trauma, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So these nurses, 
1947, the Nursing Sisters operated 146 hospitals across Canada. 146. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, prior to the nursing uh, tradition established by, you know, Nightingale, uh, religious women wielded a lot of power and authority. They were the hospital owners. They were the architects, the treasurers, and the managers. Very interesting. Yeah. Little did the Vatican know, eh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the part that I like the most. Um, you know, and they, they, they really viewed their work as a, it was a spiritual ministry. And, and that's how, you know, I, I see people talking about being, being healers or psychotherapists or whatever, is that it's a calling. You know, it's the same as someone who enters the clergy. You know, it's a calling that you just know that that's what you have, you're there for. Your, your purpose in life is to help people in some way. Of course, our, our job is to help people, but to help the people who are helping the people to take care of themselves first. Yes, and you're bringing up a really good point because I think that going back to, you know, the the climate or the atmosphere or the culture with the nurses and the fact that it's that layered approach of, of sick care again, because it's it's not supporting the healthcare workers there to be healthy. And it just the whole the whole ball of wax is just falling apart. And it's seeing that it's not a system that is supportive. And again, who is it serving? You know, right. ultimately. Right. And and the fact that many people that go into healthcare professions, they do feel that sense of calling and they want to be able to serve. And it's really important to have that awareness of boundaries where I think that's where a lot of the um, sort of earth medicine training comes in around paying attention to what what is your human role? What is your capacity? And knowing that you do have to replenish the self first before you can show up and serve other people. Well, I th- yeah, absolutely. That's a really important point, you know, is you have to be able to take care of yourself and you have to be in a certain, you know, uh, level of, you know, good health and, and and health is mental and emotional and spiritual and physical. I mean, it's the whole package. It is the whole package. any one of those that's out of whack, you'll drain. Definitely. You will Definitely. drain out, you know, and, and it's very then hard to, to do your job. Now, let me give Canada a couple of kudos here. All right. Okay. Yes. Canada was the first country to recruit for the military nurses and made them commissioned officers. Why is that important? Because they didn't come in as a nurse subservient to. They came in as a a sergeant was a sergeant. Male or female, a sergeant is a sergeant. Very interesting. Yes. They gave them uh, commissions right from the very start. So women were never looked down upon, and then they actually developed then, as did the United States, a, a, a you know, military division of nursing. I had no idea. That's incredible. Yes. They didn't come in and just, oh, that's just the nurse. No, that's sergeant nurse or lieutenant or lieutenant, whatever your pronunciation is. So they gave them equal status to men right from the get-go uh, as soon as they, they were come in. Canada today is also the only country that demands a baccalaureate. You have to have a Bachelor of, of Science degree in nursing as an entry to practice. As an entry to practice. Entry to practice, yes. Okay. In other words, you're not going to get your license if you don't have your Bachelor degree in nursing. Right, right. right. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's amazing. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have those standards. And I'm hoping that those standards start to also shift to you know, teach people a little bit more about medicines from a, 
from, again, I keep repeating myself, but going from a natural perspective, because it's something that some people can't afford going into university or they, and, and they can't afford to have secondary education. And to me, that is where this discrepancy is not okay. Why, why should it be only people that can afford to go to university get, be able to call themselves nurses or anything in that matter? And, and I think this could be another show here. This could be. <laughs> and, but just, just basically yeah. saying, you know, everyone has the ability to learn and, and, you know, we, we, oh, I think overvalue sometimes um, conventional education, academics. We really o- overvalue it. I agree. The people who are out there in the trenches know a whole lot more. They you do. Know, some of the best therapists I know are actually recovering uh, uh, addicts, alcoholic. You know, um, they, you know, they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant as therapists. Exactly. They've been there. They know what it is, and they know when you're bullshitting. Yeah, you <laughs> and you, know? you can't. That is that's the difference between having knowledge from a book. Yep. instead of experience or wisdom. Because if you can put someone out in a field in terms of, you know, how part of this also, which was this talk that I was listening to earlier, they touched on was around, you know, a lot of the things when you walk into a store are not for survival. So having an awareness of how do we, how do we survive and what do we need to survive? And right. learning, that, learning the skills to say, oh, look, I have dandelions in my backyard it doesn't have pesticides all over them and we can go and dig them up. We did that as kids growing up. My, yeah, my yeah. dad would give us a knife and we'd go and dig out the dandelions and, and wash them and, and then have them in part of our salad, which was great. Or make dandelion wine. Well, we never did that. We just oh, did okay. salad. Okay. Well, we, I just heard about it. Um, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that brings us to a close. You know what? I, I uh, just want to give a really heartfelt thank you to nurses, uh, to yes. all frontline workers who are going through hell right now, and uh, God love you. Definitely, definitely. You know, uh, we'd be lost without those people right now. So uh, from our hearts uh, to your lives, we just want to give you a great big thank you. And it was fascinating doing this because the women's, you know, the women's uh, uh, through nursing gives you a whole history, really, of the whole suffragette movement. It's you know? very interesting. So it was fascinating. It was fascinating to, uh, to do a little bit of research on that. So... I thank you, and uh, I was just told that we've probably run out of time. Don't forget Transformational Arts. Look it up at Google because I don't have the number. Transformational Arts Compassion Circle is every Friday at 7 o'clock. You're invited to do to join us then as well as every fr- uh, Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific for things worth considering. Alexia, thank you. Have a great week. Thank you, Gord. Thanks okay. very much. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your host, Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.